morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, then let's turn to Titus. Hopefully you predicted that's where we're going to turn. We're well in to the series in Titus. Today we're in Titus chapter 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 4 through to 8, but we're going to read Titus chapter 3, 1 through to 11 to remind us of the context. This is the word of the Lord. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. And we thank God for his word. Please do have your Bibles open. Back to Titus chapter 3. We're going to spend our time there today and uh, we can bring up the keynote. Great. Let's see if it's working, is it? You can move it on at the back there if it's uh, great. And the next one. Uh, This is the big thrust for today. He saved us. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God who speaks. And Lord, I pray that you would impress this upon us. This is what it means to be a Christian. You have saved us. Lord, would that impact our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a difference between watching a movie in your house and that of being in the cinema, isn't there? And sometimes, sometimes, it's well worth going all out and having one mad night at the cinema. And by a mad night, this is what I mean. You don't just buy your cinema ticket. No, no, no. You get a combo meal with it, okay? Popcorn and Coca-Cola. That's what you get. And you sit down, you sink deep into your seat at the cinema. That's if you've been able to find which seat you're allocated and you've got to it and you find that it's already vacated by someone else. Otherwise, it just gets a little bit awkward, doesn't it? We've all had those awkward moments in the cinema. But there you are. You sit back, you relax, you're ready for the movie to begin. And then it happens. 
the cinematic experience. The lights go dark, and then boom, <laughs> the movie kicks off. The last time that we were in Terrace, the lights had got really, really, really dark, hadn't they? Paul, as he writes this letter to Titus, he reminds us of our depravity outside of Christ. Look with me at verse 3. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. And we said that although we may not even have been aware of our state, the state that we were in, here it is from God's perspective. This is his bird's eye view and a summary statement of your life outside of Christ as an unbeliever. This is what it was. The lights had gone really dark. And as Paul writes these words in verse 3, it's kind of the, the equivalent of us sitting in the cinema and the lights going out. And yet it creates the perfect backdrop for what comes next. The full-color delight that we're about to be hit with on the screen. Things were bleak and hopeless. The lights were out, and then boom. <laughs> Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. We were in deep trouble. We were spiritually dead. We were slaves to sin. And then God saved us. See, this is the good news of the gospel. So if you don't hear those words and a little trickle of a smile finds itself onto your face, well, then something has gone badly, badly wrong because this is the gospel. He saved us. Paul wants us to leave with one main message this morning when it comes to our salvation, and this is it. It is all down to God. It's all down to God. It's not about you or me and what we did or what you did. It's all focused on God and what God did. He saved us. Just look at how God is described in, in verse 4. It's such a contrast to the life of the non-Christian, isn't it? We're introduced to God here, and it says, He is good, and He is kind. And where do we see God's goodness and kindness fleshed out? More so than in Christ, whenever He took on flesh, and He appeared as a man, and He went to the cross on our behalf. God appeared. The light shone into the darkness, and He saved us. Paul, as he shines the light on what happened in the, processes, uh, uh, in the process of salvation, he says that the spotlight is all on what God does. That's where the spotlight is. Salvation is a divine action. Salvation is a divine initiative. Salvation is something that God does. He saved us. Listen again to the emphasis in the, in the text. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out 
on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I wonder, did you spot it? God is the one who is the active party here. Do you see that? And why, why was it that God decided to choose us to be his children? Why did he choose to save you or me or any particular individual? Why did God save Paul or Titus? Why did God save us? Well, was it that we were slightly better than all the rest? Have a little, little look around. You probably know the answer to that, okay? No. Were we slightly better morally? No. Had we a tendency towards God that others didn't have? Were we just a little bit brighter than everybody else and, and seeing the truth and recognizing it and saying, yes, absolutely, that makes sense? And that's why we responded, no, it's, it's nothing about us, nothing about us at all. And Paul is at great pains to say that. He says it again and again and again. Verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. And so Paul is there. He, he strips away any, any possible reason that we might have for pride. God saved us, and there was actually nothing that meant that we should deserve it over anybody else. We, like every other non-believer, were in the state of verse 3, the state of deep darkness. And if God had not acted in saving us, well, then that is the state that we would be in today. But God acted. He saved us. Verse 5 continues, but according to his own mercy. That's what drove God to save. Nothing about us. We deserved punishment, and yet God in his mercy decided not to give us the punishment we rightfully deserved because of our sinful actions. It was because of his mercy. Do we see that? Because of God's mercy, he saved us, not because of some righteousness found in me or in you, but rather because of the mercy that was found in him. And so it's about God's heart rather than your heart. God saved us. So how did God go about it? How did God save us? Well, we're told that it was by the work of his agent, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And through the second person of the Trinity, his son. Do you see that? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so we get a little insight into what happens behind the scenes, don't we? Recently, I've um, enjoyed watching the hotel people. Anybody here been watching that? Okay, the hotel people. It's filmed in Northern Ireland. It gives us a little glimpse into behind the scenes in the Hastings Group. And so you see how it, how it all works behind the scenes in a hotel. If you've never worked in the hotel industry, which I haven't, then I had no idea. And I found it fascinating seeing how it all works. The Slave Donor, the Claude, and the Grand Central, the Europa. You've got to see how all of the action happens behind the scenes. And I find that sort of thing fascinating. I love it. I didn't know that it took so long to prepare for an afternoon tea. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware that if you go for a big feast as a big group, like us all heading to the hotel together, that it's all going to be prepared the day beforehand and, and, and frozen and then, and then reheated. I didn't. I just didn't know, but it was fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> really interesting to find out. And here, it's almost like 
it's almost like we have a little behind-the-scenes glimpse as to what happens for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're told that it is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about a regeneration of the individual's heart. Or another way of saying it is, another word of, uh, way of describing regeneration is really to say it's a, it's a new birth. It's the Holy Spirit that brings about a new birth inside someone's heart. Actually, maybe if we think about the answer that Jesus gave to Nicodemus, it, it helps us here. We find this encounter in John 3. Feel free to, to flick with me to it. And this is where a Pharisee named Nicodemus goes to Jesus believing Jesus to be a good teacher from God. And Jesus tells him this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So let's, let's flick over and read this little section together. John chapter three. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is His spirit, do not marvel that I have said, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. (laughs) You must be born again. You must be born again. It's a very well-known text in Northern Ireland, isn't it? You might see it on a tree. You might see it on the side of a lorry. You might see it on a telephone pole. We see it all the time, isn't it? You must be born again. And why do people put that text up there? Well, I think it's because they are thinking that what Jesus is saying here is a call to do something, to be born again, as if this was a command from Jesus, something that you had to try really hard to actually do or to bring about But that would be to misunderstand what Jesus is saying in in John. Because what Jesus is actually saying is this. Jesus is saying, this is how you become a Christian. This is how you are brought into the kingdom. It's actually something that needs to happen to you, not something that you can bring about or do. You need to be born again, and that's something that who does? The Holy Spirit does not something you can work up within yourself. Jesus was not giving a command, but rather he was giving an answer to the question, how can you get into the kingdom? Well, you must be born again. You must be born again. And that's a work of the Spirit. So regeneration or rebirth is is something that the Holy Spirit does to those who are spiritually dead. The Holy Spirit takes spiritually dead human hearts and he brings them to spiritual life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He he regenerates the human heart. 
I'm not sure if I've told you this, but that my undergraduate degree was in property investment and development, okay? It was very, very popular whenever I was at university. There was like 70 in my year, okay? And then the property crash came while I was at university, and I remember uh, they asked me to give a tour to the first years, and so I took the four first years round, and uh, yes, it really decimated um, our, our uh, university degree. But I, I haven't really worked in property since... Um, since that, obviously, because all the jobs dried up very quickly, uh, and I went to work for Scripture Union. And so what I do is I, I try to find any way that I can link three years of study into a sermon so that it doesn't feel as wasted, okay? And so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I find a great way to get it in because my dissertation was this. My dissertation was on regeneration. Would you believe it? And that's what we're thinking about this morning. Uh, my title was this. My title was Regeneration Strategies to Attract Business Investment in Cities. It was a good, uh, well, I was going to say it was a good dissertation. You have to ask the person who marked it. They might not agree. I, I enjoyed it. And what we did is we had to look at some regeneration projects that had taken place in, uh, in cities, maybe some old dead parts of cities that have been brought to new life. And so I remember we looked at, um, I mean, I say we, it was just me. It was my dissertation. Uh, I looked at Temple Bar in Dublin, for example, and that whole area and how it's been uh, brought to life. And so it's a, it's a bit like that. It's a bit like what God does by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He takes old, dead people, spiritually speaking, and he brings them to complete new life. He regenerates them. And it's not just like it's not just like upcycling where he gives them a coat of paint and, and so it's still the raw material in beneath. No, 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 it's, it's a completely new creation, brand new hearts. Regeneration takes a heart that was formerly set against God, one that had no desire to seek God or to please God, and it transforms it into one that is inclined towards God, one that is seeking after God and his ways. And this is an incredible transformation. It's a complete rebirthing experience. It's an inner transformation. He saved us, not by our works, but by the Spirit's washing. And so how does God do this? Well, it's through the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. We think about what He's done, how He came and lived. He died on the cross, taking the punishment that we deserved. He rose again and has ascended to be with his Father. And so for the believer here this morning, it is Jesus who is our Savior. We see that at the end of verse 6, don't we? But if you were paying attention to the text, well, then you'll also realize that God the Father is also our Savior. We see that in verse 4, don't we? In fact, what we see here is a, a Trinitarian act the three persons of the Godhead are all here, aren't they? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all involved. And so if you think that you're a Christian here this morning and yet you don't believe in the Trinity, well, then you've got major, major, major difficulties, okay? Because it's the Trinitarian God who saves. It's only the Trinitarian God that is the true Christian God. Every other God is a false God. And the final thing I want us to, to notice as we think about how God has gone about saving us is that we're justified by grace. Do you spot that? And it's as if Paul wants to highlight this again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> he says, your justification, that's your right standing 
before God is in no ways attributed to any human work. It's a work of God's grace. That's what Paul really wants to hammer home this morning. You, if you're a Christian this morning, did not deserve to be a Christian. So what is it that separates the unbeliever in verse 3 from the the believer in verse 7? Only God's grace and God's mercy. That's the only thing that can get you from one to the other, from the place of spiritual deadness to being an heir. Only God's grace and God's mercy. Verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We've thought about the who of salvation. God is the one who saves. We've thought about the how of salvation, how it's the work of the Holy Spirit through the Son that we're justified. And now we want to think about the purpose of salvation. (laughs) What is God's purpose in actually choosing and saving His people? Why does God actually do that? Well, notice verse 7 highlights that we've been justified. So in other words, when God looks at us through His Son, Jesus, He sees us as as if we had never sinned perfect and blameless in terms of our standing before Him. But notice that it's not just a saving from judgment, okay? Notice that for those who are saved by God, they become heirs. Do you spot that? They become part of the family of God. They become children of God. That's, that's the incredible thing, isn't it? The one true God, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, that he would welcome us as his children, that we would enter into a personal relationship with him, that we would be invited to call out to God as our heavenly father. By his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, for the Christian this morning, you have great hope. Great hope. You have a hope. You have a future, a sure and certain hope something that you can go to the bank on. We have an eternal life to come. And this, this eternal life isn't just an, an endless version of a life just like this. Sometimes I think that's how we've come to understand eternal life. We, we think that it's just a, a forever version of what we've got here. And for some of you this morning, that is not something that excites you because your life is full of pain and misery and hardship. And to think that that just endless? That does not fill you with hope this morning, does it? It doesn't fill you with hope, but, but rather, rather than just thinking about eternal life in terms of its length, that it goes on forever, we need to understand that really what's packed into this phrase, eternal life, is, is much more than that. It's not just length of life, but it's the quality of life. It's the fullness of life. It's life with God Himself and His people in the new creation. This is one that can excite us. This is one that can excite us. It's home. It's what you, you default for. It's, your, it's the longing that everyone has in their hearts. And for the Christian, it is a sure and certain hope. <laughs> and it's part of God's purpose in saving us. He saved us so that we might become heirs to eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. Paul does not want us to miss this this morning. He really wants to stress what's just been said. I think what he's talking about here is really verses 3 through to 7, because really it's a summary of the gospel message, isn't it? 
It highlights our sinful state outside of Christ. It highlights God's active saving act by his spirit through his son. It highlights our justified state before God himself and how it's brought about only by God's grace and mercy. It highlights our adoption into the family of God and how we become heirs. It highlights our hope of eternal life to come. It's really a summary of what we believe as Christians, isn't it? And Paul says to Titus, Titus, stress these things. Stress them. Don't let people miss these things. These are not the sort of things that people can pick and choose whether they believe or not. No, the gospel is one of grace. God is the one who does the saving, and it's not a works-based righteousness. It's a message of God's mercy, and Titus is to stress these things. Stress them. And so I hope this morning that as we have tried to stress them, you have seen just how important these aspects of what we believe actually are. So that, verse 8b, look with me, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. I wonder, is that where you expected it to go? <laughs> Titus, stress the doctrines of grace so that it might lead people to live out duties of gratitude. Stress the doctrines of grace so that you might live out the duties of gratitude. Sometimes we think that if we stress grace, well, then people will just think that they can live whatever way they want. If you stress grace too much, well, then people will not live in a godly way. Well, that's not how Paul sees it. Paul says, stress grace and the doctrines of grace, and as a result, it will leave people in there's no other possible way to respond apart from to live out the way that God has called us to live. The more that we focus on God and what He has done, how He has saved us, the more it leads to radically transformed living. Our hearts love our Savior, and those who love their Savior will listen to His voice, will listen to His commands, and live their lives full to the brim with good works full to the brim with righteous living. That's how we're supposed to respond to grace this morning. And notice that they are to be careful. Do you spot that? The wording there, to be careful to do good works. This is a, an active thing. If you're sitting here this morning and you think that good works will just come about by you not actively seeking to do them, well, then you've got this wrong, okay? Because it's an active thing. You're to be careful. You're to seek them out. You're to, you're to seek out how to live in a way that pleases God. Righteous living. It doesn't happen by default. And so we're to be careful to seek to live in that way, in a way that brings glory to the Lord and Savior who has saved us. And then we're told these things are excellent and profitable for people. Don't you want to live an excellent life? Don't you want to live a life that's profitable? Whenever it gets to the end of your days and they're thinking, what will we put on his or her gravestone? Don't you want it to say, they lived an excellent life, one that was profitable. <laughs> and I'm not just meaning financially profitable, I mean in, you know, big scale. They lived a life that was profitable. We live at good works, and we are enabled to do this by God's saving act. As we live out these good works, it's the primary way that we commend the gospel to those who do not believe. 
And what could profit them more? What could profit them more than hearing the gospel? (laughs) Hearing the gospel and being brought to save in faith by the work of the Spirit. What could be more profitable in how we live? And so this morning we've been reminded that salvation comes about by God's action. So as Desi was reminding us earlier, doesn't that lead us to want to pray? Doesn't that lead us to want to pray for family members, work colleagues, neighbors, classmates? Doesn't it, doesn't it make you want to pray? Because you might look at their life and you might think, well, they seem so far from trusting Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and people have been praying for you for a long time and you think, well, my life seems like it's gone in the completely the opposite direction. And yet, because it's God's action who transforms the heart, then it can happen just like that. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? And so we pray for salvation. We pray that God would save people. Why? Because he's the one who brings it about. He saved us. And so let this be an encouragement to those who have been praying for a long time, or maybe you've just started to pray for someone, your spouse, your sibling, your child, your neighbor, your friend, your colleague. Keep praying. Why? Because it's the same God who saved you is able to bring about their salvation. Maybe you are here today, and actually as you come in through the church, if I was to do a little survey and say, are you a Christian? You would have said no. (laughs) If you're honest, you're here any number of reasons, but it's not because you're a Christian. But perhaps today as we've been thinking about this, you've had a sense that God is actually doing this very thing in your life at the moment. That even as you sit here this morning, God's Spirit is at work, and He's bringing about this renewal, this transformation, this, this new life to your heart. Maybe you're living this out in real time this morning as we're preaching about it and thinking about it. Maybe God's Spirit is using His Word to bring about that transformation. That is certainly our prayer this morning. And if that's you this morning, well then here is what you need to do. Believe in Christ Jesus and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. As God works in your heart bringing about new life, well then we respond by believing and receiving in Jesus Christ as our Lord and and Savior. And then what do we do? We seek to live it out with the help of the work of the Spirit in us. If that's you this morning and you want to come and chat to myself or to Al or to one of the elders or someone that you know is a Christian this morning, well then please do come and chat to us. Please do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the gospel is such incredibly good news. We were spiritually dead and then you saved us. Lord, we cannot save ourselves and so we rejoice in the saving work brought about by you, the one true living God. And so Lord, as we respond to the gospel, enable us to live out these good works in response. And Father, for those who are here, who as yet are still in darkness. According to your grace and mercy, might you pour out your Spirit upon them, bringing them to brand new life, that they might be able to believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ and accept them as their Savior today. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.